0: Chapters thirty-six, thirty-seven, and thirty-eight of Philomène's Marriages by Henri Gréville, translated by Helen Stanley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty-six, A Telegram. Lavenel had parried the first thrust and promising only a brief delay in the publication of the bans, but it was only a palliative. He would have to decide on some heroic step. Now Lavenel had nothing of the hero about him, and extreme measures cost him a great deal, for he liked to keep a back door open for himself. He could not marry two women at once, and the situation became embarrassing. He had for Virginie no other feeling than the desire to touch her nice little dot of sounding crowns, but he had determined to marry her, and the idea suited him well enough. As to his old love, philomene still inspired him with the same complex mixture of anger former passion disdain and rancour only since she had endeavoured to blacken her cousin's reputation he despised her a little more and since he had accused her of the love he supposed she felt for masson he desired all the more to have her for his wife so that he could revenge himself on her for a long series of mortifications and jealousies of various kinds at night when all alone on tete-a-tete with his cotton nightcap nightcaps may be found in our provinces in daily use lavenel went over in his mind all his griefs against philomene she is a silly woman said he to himself she has nothing but vanity in her head and selfishness in her heart and now here she comes to upset me in my plans would she not have done better what ought she have done that would have been better here theodore lavenel's tormented mind embarked on another ocean of perplexities to have married masson philomene was alone capable of considering masson as a husband suited to her the rest of humankind could but have been amused at such a thought and their amusement would have been troubled by a kind of consternation at the sight of her aberration of mind that was intensely absurd and besides should lavenel marry virginie he would never have forgiven any being whatsoever for having deprived him of philomene a second time he wished her to remain a widow and that no new honeymoon whatever should illumine her solitary hearth they say that the dog in the manger experiences an analogous feeling but at least the honest dog fulfils the mission which his master has allotted to him whereas lavenel fulfilled no mission whatever except that of pleasing himself and until now he had acquitted himself of it admirably then what should madame crepin have done in order to avoid all reproach to have remained in paris until his marriage with virginie was well and duly celebrated and then and then ma foi so much the worse but all this did not enlighten the situation and dawn appeared before lavenel had discovered anything better than to go to father biron's and force him by reiterated pleadings to fix the publication of the banns for the following sunday then he would see lavenel did not think without a little chill of what he would say that day on his artemisia's part who would have become an ariadne but he had a week to prepare himself for it why the devil does she hold so much to marrying me when all Diolette knows she is in love with the actor said our poor friend to himself again he ignored that jealousy and self-love were more powerful in the widow's heart than the voice of passion itself and then what an unfortunate idea she had to make me to go to her house at night just when that drunken mammatne was crossing the square he will talk and it is very probable he will do me harm in father biron's eyes oh but when i shall have virginie's papers there will be no way of getting them from me this thought alone gave Lavenel a little peace and he went to sleep at last Towards sunrise he woke up late and jumped out of his bed in great haste was he not to have gone to dine with Father Buron that day? It was only by not losing a minute that he would arrive in time. While he was hurrying to dress himself with all his might, he approached the window to see what kind of weather it was, and what did he see? The collector Stilbury, driven by one of the tavern servant men, carrying off as fast as a good horse could trot, Madame Aubier herself, as fat as ever, wrapped up in numberless shawls, and her face beaming with delight. There is something going on said theodore lavenel to himself who upset everything around him in his consternation and lost a quarter of an hour in disengaging his suspenders that were terribly entangled in spite of his haste half-past eleven o'clock sounded on the old cracked town clock before he had finished harnessing he climbed into his carriole whipped his horse and set off at full gallop at the end of twenty minutes his horse lost a shoe which obliged him to go at a more quiet gait and he arrived at father biron's in a piteous state an hour behindhand and very vexed as he entered the room he saw a sight that stopped him on the threshold madame aubier seated near virginie's father was tapping him gently on his left hand in order to engrave the better in his mind the phrases she was reading out loud from a piece of singular-looking blue paper which lavenel thanks to his worldly knowledge recognized as a telegram Virginie. Rosy and smiling was leaning her hands on her father's shoulder, resting her chin in them, and her lovely eyes were carefully following the characters imprinted by the machine on the small bands of white paper. Madame Biron, who was less cross than usual, wore rather a pleased look, and what was miraculous, they had not yet thought of dining, although it was long past one o'clock. The noise that Lavenel made as he entered changed this pretty picture with astonishing rapidity. Their brows became clouded, and their looks disturbed. But Madame Aubier recovered herself very quickly. "Good morning, Master Lavenel, said she over her spectacles to the newcomer, and then continued her reading. Madame Masson asks of Monsieur Biron his daughter's hand for her only son and heir, Eugène. She gives her son the furniture for his house and an income of four thousand francs in government securities in five per cents, and does not demand any other dot than that which the young lady will inherit from her mother's property. Do not lose a moment. The necessary papers are sent by mail. Reply by telegram. Answer paid. Forty words. Verrois. Lavenel listened, and what was worse, understood perfectly. "'What is that?' said he, approaching. "'It is a telegram I received a short time ago,' answered Madame Aubier, showing him the paper. "'That,' said Lavenel, incredulously, "'that is not a telegram. It is much too long for one.' This observation nearly compromised everything. Father Biron, struck with the justice of the argument, cast a doubtful look on the paper, and then on Madame Aubier, and repeated, In truth, it is much too long for one. With an impatient movement, Madame Aubier drew out of her pocket the torn envelope which bore her name and the word telegram. And this, said she, what is this? It is true, it is a telegram, replied Father Buron. Lavenel felt that he had lost his first throw. "'But it is much too long for one,' he obstinately repeated. "'Telegrams never contain more than twenty words. I have sent some. They cost twenty sous.' "'There is four francs worth on this,' replied Madame Aubier triumphantly. "'And forty sous for the answer prepaid. That makes six francs.' "'They are very rich,' murmured the grain merchant bitterly, beaten for a second time madame masson stops at nothing where her son is concerned said madame aubier well buron come is it settled but said the landowner i have almost promised Lavenel. almost you entirely promised me and i have come to get the papers for the publication of the bands but the little one did not wish it observed madame Aubier virginie raised her head proudly and gave lavenel a negative sign which was impossible for him to mistake i never wanted it said she in her clear voice come madame Buron, you promised to help me said lavenel in extremity turning towards the stepmother. what do you want me to say replied the latter you asked for a dot the gentleman takes her without one we will therefore gain three thousand francs and that is worth considering and then Said Madame Aubier, he has four thousand francs income and five per cents. That is nice. One knows what it is. Whilst in business, there are always ups and downs, lavenel irresolutely rubbed his two thumbs together for a moment. Well, if that is the case, said he, then I shall go home. Good morning, gentlemen, ladies, and the company. Why, no, said Father Beuron. You need not get angry on account of this. Stay and eat some soup with us you will not marry our daughter but that is no reason why we should quarrel lavenel hesitated for an instant then taking it into account that he had not four thousand francs income he concluded by thinking that these people had done rightly and that had he been in their place he would have done the same besides had he not given the example of it in leaving philomene for virginie without any other excuse than his better interest he sat down beside madame aubier and took his part at the feast virginie's godmother did not lose any time in needless compliments as soon as the cloth was removed she left and as she had a kind heart she brought back lavenel in the collector's tilbury leaving the tavern servant-man to drive home the lame mare slowly madame aubier went to the telegraph station to send off her answer whilst the rejected admirer returned to his mother to tell her of his mischance it is unfortunate said the old woman but i felt sure the little beuron would not marry you they are obstinate those girls that are brought up like duchesses and they are worth nothing at all at housekeeping what are you going to do i am going to see philomene replied the clear-headed man and to-morrow morning at that i snubbed her last night it will have done her good it had not done her good contrary to lavenel's surmises he had hardly left her dwelling before drawing towards her the captain's portfolio which served on great occasions madame crepet abandoned herself to the most profound meditation after thinking for about half an hour she found herself sufficiently prepared and dipping her pen in some muddy ink she wrote four great pages without stopping to take breath in which orthography abandoned itself to some perilous flights but wherein feeling overflowed in such a way as to make one forget such small clouds on a sky of tenderest azure after having finished her letter without taking the trouble to copy it for philomene had never any doubts about herself she wrote the address with a bold hand passed her tongue delicately over the glue on the envelope closed it put a stamp on it upside down and then contemplated her work with evident satisfaction the letter made a very good effect on the portfolio by the vacillating light of a dull candle but it had not been written to remain there it was not late Philomene, without taking the trouble to throw a shawl over her shoulders went straight to the letter-box that modest and discreet confidant of all secrets and let her work disappear in the little gulf that is always wide open ah said she as she closed the door and pushed the bolt they wish to prevent my attaining my ends well my friends although you made me leave you will not have the last word when Lavenel. Faithful to his determination presented himself at the widow's house he went to offer peace and he found war "What," said she to him, "you come here after the things you said to me day before yesterday and you think I am in a humor to support it? Go where you are well received. Go to Virginie Berron. I saw you go off yesterday and then return with Madame Aubier. She does not hide herself when she goes to see her goddaughter. Return there. That is the best for you to do." philomene returned theodore lavenel you do not know what you are saying i did go to father buron's yesterday it is true and i did not hide myself for one has a right to go where business calls one but it was not for virginie and for whom then for no one philomene for all answer snapped her fingers disdainfully and turned her back on her interlocutor this latter who was vexed had a stroke of genius he could humiliate the widow more than she had ever humiliated him with one word he could both clear himself and give her intense pain how could he resist it and you dear readers would you not have done the same in his place the proof said he softly looking at her sideways the proof that i do not go there for virginie is that i can tell you a piece of news philomene overcome by curiosity turned her head a little She is going to be married. Ah, said Madame Crepin, turning round entirely. You do not know to whom? No. You cannot guess. Philomene, who prided herself on her perspicacity, sought a little but found nothing. Do you wish me to tell you? Certainly. To your friend, Monsieur Masson. It is not true, cried Philomene, springing forward. It is not true. She leaned on the corner of her bureau, but she raised her arm at once, For the sharp angle of a pointed shell placed there for people to see cut her elbow. She wished to put on a bold face and to hide the trembling which made her totter on her feet. She seized a chair violently, struck it on the floor, and sat down on it. "'It is perfectly true,' continued Labanelle, enchanted at his success. "'They have adored each other since last summer, it seems. Monsieur Masson is rich.' his mother has given him an income so that he can leave the theatre masson rich masson with an income and it was virginie who was going to have all that it is not true the widow repeated faintly clinging to her incredulity like a drowning man to a straw floating on the water nothing is truer he was in such a hurry poor Monsieur masson that he sent his proposal by telegraph and they answered him in the same way that is an odd way of arranging marriages. Hey, what do you think of it, madame? Philomene was thinking of her letter that had probably arrived and was saying to herself that she would give la userie to be able to get it back again before it was unsealed. But like many other institutions, the post does not return what is confided to it unless it may be money, and in that respect it does differ from other institutions. I say that it is a lie and a calumny said she with her face on fire and her throat dry a lie if i had not been witness to the whole affair i should say it might be but a calumny madame Crepin. tell me how it is a calumny and against whom marriage does wrong to no one by the way it is on sunday that our banns will be published at the same time with m masson's and virginie's will they not neither sunday nor ever exclaimed philomene in a fury go to the devil i will not marry you and you will do well ma foi cried lavenel exasperated in his turn by jealousy at seeing his betrothed's anger which he attributed not without cause to the depth of the wound he had made i am not one to marry a woman who is silly enough to fall in love with a man younger than herself and as much suited to her as our cock is for planting peas irritated beyond all human speech madame crepin threw her front door wide open and drew aside to indicate to lavenel that he would do well to leave your servant said the latter giving a flourishing bow with his hat he passed out quickly with his hands in his pockets and went off with a conquering air until he reached his house where having entered and being sheltered from indiscreet eyes he began to kick things about on every side until all the chairs were on the floor after which having no servants he picked them up one by one put them on their feet sat down on the best one and mused pitifully chapter thirty seven an extraordinary letter madame aubier's telegram reached the Verroys' house too late in the evening for them to send and inform masson about it it was not until the next day that they sent for him and about eleven o'clock in the morning our friends being gathered together in the dining-room gave themselves over to all the joyous merriment with which the success of their undertaking inspired them masson was wild to leave and the three days of patience to which he was condemned seem interminably long to him suddenly he drew a letter from his pocket and presented it to marie i received that this morning said he and i understand nothing about it Can you explain this sudden friendship and these plaints of a prisoned bird to me? He presented a letter in its torn envelope to Madame Verroy, who at first glance, and even before seeing the handwriting, exclaimed, Philomène! I recognize her way of wiping the blots with her little finger. There is one on the back of the envelope in the corner. It is true. I had not remarked it, said Masson, laughing. Is it an inveterate habit with her, then? She could not write without it, she would think she had made faults in orthography else charles answered ah there are some continued masson but read it the contents are curious not more so than its appearance however marie read out loud dear monsieur masson i promised when i should be far away from you to write to you did you ever ask her to do so never in my life it is a purely gratuitous promise and therefore the more meritorious said charles continue my dear wife i keep my promise although i have nothing very interesting to tell you i found my house and all my small surroundings as they were before i left excepting that everything was very damp she ought not to have stayed away so long charles interrupted continue i have not been here long and yet it seems to me that it is a century since i returned the time that i spent in paris is like a dream to me and i much fear that i can never accustom myself to Dielette again a blot wiped out with her finger said charles who was looking at the letter from the corner of his eye no charles it is not a blot it's a word scratched out go on so much the better everything seems dull and ugly to me here in order to like this place i am obliged to recall to myself that you found extraordinary beauty in it which i do not discover ah my dear friend life is very hard for a woman alone in the world and isolated whose tastes place her above the society that surrounds her ha 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 said charles and who has known no happiness for many years except the time she passed in paris why she writes like madame de savigny the souvenir of the friendship you showed me the delicate attentions that you paid me what did you pay her delicate attentions that's fine i shall tell virginie about it let me enjoy the reading please said masson with a most amusing shrug of his shoulders in your wife's mouth those phrases take a poetical turn that i did not find they possessed on paper is the only joy i know at present and i love to recall those delicious moments no i do not like what surrounds me here i cannot find anything beautiful in the grey stones of the cliffs or the sands of the downs but i would love were i not condemned to live in a place i detest among people who cannot understand me would be a little modest house in paris where i could have the happiness of seeing you sometimes and to know that i had a few friends about me whilst here i am all alone and lavenel what has she done with him said the incorrigible interrupter you will answer me will you not my dear friend i have had confidence in your friendly words You will not cause me the sorrow of a disappointment that would perhaps be the bitterest of all the sorrows of my life. Your faithful friend, Philomène Crépin, nay, Hanset. What does that mean? Repeated Masson, with his eyes lost in vacancy and his chin in the palm of his hand. You also are too stupid," said Charles contemptuously. "How? People declare that I have some wit, just a little." you are too stupid if you do not see what that dove in quest of a mate wishes what don't you see that she wishes to marry you body and soul i exclaimed masson taking his head in his hands i he repeated in a vexed tone that made his two friends burst out laughing oh the old idiot but say it is nothing but an absurd joke nothing is truer in the world seriously on my word of honour. Masson took his hands slowly away from his head, which they had been still clasping, and let them fall on his knees with such a despairing expression that the young people's hilarity redoubled. "'What did I ever do to her?' said he, that she should so turn me into ridicule. "'That, my friend,' said Charles, "'is a secret between your conscience and yourself.' "'What must I answer her?' said the unfortunate fellow. "'I will take charge of it.' i am going to write to her my dear cousin masson has received your letter he begs me to thank you for the devoted affection you have been so kind as to show him he cannot do so himself because he is absorbed with the preparations for his marriage with virginie a marriage that does not surprise you i am sure for with your usual cleverness you must have suspected their plans charles exclaimed marie you are pitiless justice is serene and implacable my dear that is what makes its strength and its beauty the plaintiff philomene will soon hear from me chapter thirty eight turning the tables however it was not charles who undertook to announce masson's marriage to the unhappy madame Crépin, but marie rather who tried to make the best of it but although she hid the bitter pill under a quantity of sweetest preserves the fact existed and the blow was rude when she received the letter Philomene remained for a long while motionless and dumb the anger of having allowed herself to be so grossly mistaken the jealous fury of a woman who is disdained by another the realization of the ridicule she had so weakly brought upon herself put her into such an indescribable violent state of mind that she might have died of suffocation from its effects had not heaven reserved another destiny for her in spite of lavenel's affirmations she had doubted it all till then not daring to go see madame aubier and refusing to believe the village gossip this blow although it had been foreseen affected her tremendously when she had recovered her calmness a little her first impulse was to tear her cousin's letter into a thousand pieces and to stamp on them with rage then she bestowed upon her the least flattering epithets possible it was marie's fault certainly had she not persisted in spite of Philomène's advice in inviting that silly virginie to her house who now took from her something much more than the object of her romantic love the crowning of a life full of wasted ambition the blow was a terrible one all the more however because madame Crépin would never really feel it thanks to the thick iron coating of pride that protected her marie's pity in announcing the news to her in a thousand cautious terms that were full of delicate feeling had all been in vain her kind words of consolation of reason and affection were all lost upon her her cousin did not in the least appreciate them far from that she found an express insult a marked determination to lay blame upon her in them what would she not have given to have been able to have taken back her useless confession but accomplished facts are pitiless and neither let themselves be softened nor bribed and the confession subsisted bah thought Philomen if she ever speaks to me about it again i will tell her that it is she who is deceived and that i never spoke to her about it full of a noble pride the result of her strength she took her best pen and with the addition of a few blots she wrote what follows my dear marie i have just received your letter and for more than three hours i have been sitting in the same place reading it over and asking myself if it were really you who wrote it what i told you in regard to masson has been interpreted by yourself in a way so distant from my thought that i ask myself whether i am not dreaming whoever could have thought that i had any other feelings for him save those of a sister certainly i did tell you that he resembled my husband and that that resemblance had inspired me with the deepest affection for him but there was nothing in that to give you cause for filling me with shame by attributing feelings to me of which i am incapable i hope sincerely you have had enough good sense not to have told any one about the suppositions you have made and the feelings you have lent me in your imagination for although i believe those who know me are clever enough not to give any credence to such improbable ideas it would not be pleasant for me to think that any one could believe me capable of wishing to marry a man younger than myself thank heaven i have not yet been obliged to blush in any one's presence and undeserved calumnies should not draw down upon me this shame i remain your devoted cousin philomene crepin nay hanset when madame verroy received this letter she was alone she read it over several times rubbing her eyes at each phrase then she turned it over in all its different meanings but it remained the same thing in no matter what light she looked at it and the young woman not being able to make up her mind about the extraordinary letter laid it aside to await her husband's return charles read it and then returned it to his wife smiling does it amuse you said marie to him a little annoyed at seeing the effect that what had so upset her produced on him i find it very droll and very natural yes it amuses me for her injurious words cannot harm us and as a study it is an interesting subject it is a final quarrel sighed marie heaven be praised for it that woman would have eaten up our last farthing if that good masson had not frustrated her we will be indebted to him for this all our lives unfortunately he did not do it on purpose i was very fond of her however murmured the young woman regretfully you had your trouble for nothing her husband concluded in a manner of consolation you will love virginie in her stead and you will benefit by the exchange i assure you virginie's name and memory were a talisman for those who knew her one could not think of her without feeling the charm of her sweet beauty and loving heart philomene's image was banished from the fireside where she had endeavoured to bring sorrow and no one thought anything more about her at the end of a week's time madame Crepin, however was a prey to a thousand anguishes she had driven lavenel away in a moment of anger and now disagreeable reports in regard to herself came back to her the grain merchant had been seen coming out of her house on the fatal night she had enticed him there people spoke about it discreetly but smilingly her good friends were not sparing in their taunts to her and certain very straight-laced dames in the best society of the place feigned when they met her not to see her so that they would not be obliged to bow to her must i marry him in order to repair my reputation Philomene asked herself one day i detest him however very much mon dieu how i do detest him if i catch him i will make him pay for all his disagreeable actions by a touching coincidence lavenel at that very moment whipped his mare who had been newly shodden for he was thinking of Philomene, and the poor beast who was trotting her best however Completed the illusion by kicking in the shafts energetically, which did not ameliorate his condition. The two disagreeable persons, whom Providence had so admirably designed to punish each other reciprocally for their faults, might have remained eternally separated but for the intervention of some kind souls. Madame Aubier, who had married her goddaughter and had nothing to do while the young people were on their wedding journey, took pity one day on Madame Crepin's emaciated face and discomfited expression this latter was really dying from anger and spite she made allusion to lavenel about his nocturnal interview with his betrothed and to the harm the latter had suffered from it and profiting by the fact that our friend had a pressing need for money she ended by extracting a promise from him that he would make a new proposal then philomene's turn came whom she influenced through her self-love and her anxiety about her reputation moreover madame lavenel who had returned to more maternal sentiments had showered attention and thoughtfulness upon her so that one fine day the mayor united for ever these two beings who hated each other cordially and who only had the most mediocre esteem for one another their home does not pass at dialette for a small paradise a month had passed at this time since masson and his wife who had returned from their wedding trip in Massonnet, had inhabited a pretty little house that was situated nearly on the edge of the beach in which a thousand things unknown to the inhabitants of that country had grouped themselves together little by little and had made a charming home besides the room that had been philomene's was always ready for them at monsieur madame verroy's house whenever they had a fancy to pass three months in paris ask masson if you like whether he regrets the theatre and you will see what his answer will be only and this phenomena has not yet been explained. When the pious souls at X in Massonet congratulate Madame Masson on her son's return to family life, she begins her answer by smiling and ends it with a sigh. Does she, by any chance, regret his past renown? End of chapters thirty six, thirty seven, and thirty eight. The end of Philomene's marriages by Henri Gréville, translated by Helen Stanley. Recorded by Céline Major